you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 8 of Greatest Stories Under Told, a new weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma, for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. This eighth installment is entitled, Paul's Nephew Foils a Murder Plot. All Scripture is Taken from the New International Version. First, though, I'd like to remind you of the story of Helen Keller. She was born in Tuscumbia, Alabama in 1880, but when she was only 19 months old, she contracted an illness that left her blind and deaf. After the family was advised by none other than Alexander Graham Bell to contact the Perkins Institute for the Blind in Boston, a young teacher by the name of Anne, who was visually impaired herself, was sent to Alabama to become Helen's instructor. Anne arrived on March the 5th of 1887, and she started spelling words into Helen's hand. But Helen didn't understand what she was doing. About a month later, the breakthrough came. Helen, when she was only 22 years old, wrote a biography of her young life. It was called The Story of My Life. And this is a paragraph from chapter 4 that explains the breakthrough. We walked down the path to the well house, attracted by the fragrance of the honeysuckle with which it was covered. Someone was drawing water, and my teacher placed my hand under the spout. As the cool stream gushed over one hand, she spelled into the other the word water, first slowly, then rapidly. I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of her fingers. Suddenly, I felt a misty consciousness, as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. That living word awakened my soul gave it light, hope, joy, set it free. There were barriers still, it was true, but barriers that could in time be swept away. It's interesting that Helen understood the power of language even for someone who was blind and deaf, and she called representations of reality, language, living words. This lesson is about the importance of words. Proverbs 25.11 says, Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. So come with me now to about 58 AD. The Apostle Paul is still eight years away from his death or so. He has been a Christian for 22 years, and he's been on three great missionary trips. The last missionary trip ended in Jerusalem, but when he got there, some Jews that opposed him had him arrested. He was then allowed to preach a stirring sermon to the community that gathered there in Jerusalem. He got in a lot of trouble and ended up having to be taken into protective custody by the Roman government. So now we are in Acts 23, beginning with verse 12. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. 
They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside, and asked, What is it you want to tell me? He said, and remember, we're talking about the power of words. The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers, carrying out their orders, took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. That's it. That's the whole story. And very simply, Paul's nephew heard that some Jews had taken an oath that they weren't going to eat or drink until they had killed him. And he exposed that plot to a leader. The leader then, acting on the words of a young man, was able to provide a detachment of 470 soldiers and to move Paul to a safe place and write a letter to authorities to make sure that he stayed safe. One kid's words, a couple of paragraphs at most, were enough to save Paul's life. That's what God decided to use. He didn't send an angel like he did the time that Peter was in prison, chained to guards. He didn't send a great army of people 
He simply used the words of a young man. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. There are seven things specifically that you can do today to be used by God to speak life and perhaps marvelous changes will result because you are willing to say the right thing at the right time. The first of those is speak life and right a wrong. That's what Paul's nephew did in this story in Acts 23. It reminds me of the time that Esther was told by the cousin who adopted her and raised her, Mordecai, don't think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Her cousin Mordecai said this to her because a wicked man named Haman had devised a plot to destroy the entire Jewish nation that was living in Persia at the time. But because Esther had the courage to speak up, it never happened, and he was brought to justice. So we can speak life and right a wrong. Number two, we can speak life and intercede. The Lord said to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 22:30, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. This is a very sad scripture because it speaks of the unused power of intercession. The Lord wants people to pray for others because that is one of the means he uses to show mercy and grace on people who have sinned. He was looking among the people of the entire world for someone to stand in the gap and pray but since he didn't find anyone, the default was justice. And justice, in this case, included destruction. Speak life and intercede. That was the second thing. The third is speak life and warn. We're still in the book of Ezekiel, but we have gone back to chapter 3, starting with verse 16. At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man... I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man and he does not turn from his wickedness or his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. Now, it's true that today's Christians are not Old Testament prophets. However, we have been given a great commission to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. 
And that includes warning people, just as John the Baptist did, to turn from sin. That's part of the gospel message, helping people to understand that when they come to God, they must say, I admit that I'm a sinner. It doesn't mean that we are condemning or that we are judgmental, but we expose them to the truth of God's word because it's like a mirror. What if you could speak life and warn someone before it was too late for them? Then you would be a watchman like Ezekiel. So number one was speak life and right or wrong. Number two was speak life and intercede or pray for others. And number three was speak life and warn. Now number four is speak life and witness, which is along the same lines. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We are telling the world all have sinned, yes, but we are also telling the world God has sent his only son because he loves you so much that he wants you to be free from your sin. And he already took all of your sins on himself. If you will only accept this free gift, do it today. So you can speak life and witness. Number five, speak life and encourage. Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So many people are broken down by the words of others. And they could bloom like a wilted flower that has been watered if someone would just come along and encourage them. It's so easy to do. Is there a person in your life, in your neighborhood, or at work, or someone who makes deliveries to your door? or in your family, or even someone that you send texts or emails to that you could encourage and build up. Number six is speak life and bless. In number six, 22 through 27, we read, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Isn't that so beautiful and powerful? What if you could do that to the people in your life? What if you could say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you? The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What if you could write that to someone in a card? In Mark 10, 16, we read about Jesus. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. That's what Jesus did for little children. The disciples wanted to turn them away, but Jesus took those children in his arms. I can see him placing his hand on a child's head 
and blessing that child. And I can imagine that that child's entire life showed the results of that blessing by the Lord. That same Jesus Christ that was physically present here on earth is still available to bless those that we bless as we allow him to speak through us. So number one was speak life and right a wrong. Two was speak life and intercede. Three was speak life and warn. Four was speak life and witness. Five was speak life and encourage. Six was speak life and bless. And seven is speak life in faith. Paul said the most interesting thing in 2 Corinthians 4.13, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. He is quoting a line from a psalm there, and he's reminding us, how very important it is to demonstrate our beliefs by saying them out. Jesus echoed this in Mark 11, 22 to 24, and Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. You see all the components of that working together there? You believe and you ask. We talked about interceding. And you say it out loud. You speak to the mountain because you know God wants to do that. And you allow him to speak through you when you say that, and there's power in those words. So the bottom line of a simple story from Acts 23 about a young nephew of Paul foiling a murder plot is that words really do matter, and you can cause marvelous things to happen that glorify the name of the Lord by the authority of the word if you will be courageous and open your mouth. What if we prayed for God to give us wisdom to say something at the right time, like apples of gold in pictures of silver? Go and speak life. If this message has been a blessing to you, please pass it along.